Hello there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. Tonight, a reading of The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett to help you get down to sleep. If you would like to hear this reading with relaxing rain sounds in the background, that is up on YouTube right now at youtube.com slash down to sleep. You can find all of the links that you need for this podcast and all of the different places you can listen in the info for this episode. Thank you for joining me tonight. This is the free version of the podcast. If you would like to hear more than 280 readings and get two new episodes at least every week, then join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. Let's go ahead and tuck you in. Take a nice deep breath for me. And let's get down to sleep. The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett But at last he asked a question, which opened up a new subject. How old are you? he asked. I am ten, answered Mary, forgetting herself for the moment. And so are you. How do you know that? he demanded in a surprised voice. Because when you were born, the garden door was locked, and the key was buried, and it has been locked for ten years. Colin half sat up, turning toward her, leaning on his elbows. What garden door was locked? Who did it? Where was the key buried? He exclaimed as if he were suddenly very much interested. It was the garden Mr. Craven hates, said Mary nervously. He locked the door. No one, no one knew where he buried the key. What sort of a garden is it? Colin persisted eagerly. No one's been allowed to go into it for ten years, was Mary's careful answer but it was too late to be careful. He was too much like herself. He, too, had had nothing to think about, and the idea of a hidden garden attracted him as it had attracted her. He asked question after question. Where was it? Had she never looked for the door? Had she never asked the gardeners? They won't talk about it, said Mary. I think they've been told not to answer questions. I would make them, said Colin. Could you? Mary faltered, beginning to feel frightened. If he could make people answer questions, who knew what might happen? Everyone is obliged to please me. I told you that, he said. If I were to live, this place would sometime belong to me. They all know that. I would make them tell me. Mary had not known that she herself had been spoiled, but she could see quite plainly that this mysterious boy had been. He thought that the whole world belonged to him. How peculiar he was, and how coolly he spoke of not living. Do you think you won't live? she asked partly because she was curious and partly in hope of making him forget the garden. I don't suppose I shall, he answered, 
as indifferently as he had spoken before. Ever since I remember anything, I've heard people say I shan't. At first, I think they thought I was too little to understand, and now they think I don't hear, but I do. My doctor is my father's cousin. He's quite poor, and if I die, he will have all Mistlethwaite when my father is dead. I should think he wouldn't want me to live. Do you want to live? inquired Mary. No, he answered in a cross, tired fashion. But I don't want to die. When I feel ill, I lie here and think about it until I cry and cry. I've heard you crying three times, Mary said, but I did not know who it was. Were you crying about that? She did so want him to forget the garden. I dare say, he answered. Let us talk about something else. Talk about the garden. Don't you want to see it? Yes, answered Mary in quite a low voice. I do, he went on persistently. I don't think I ever really wanted to see anything before. But I want to see that garden. I want the key dug up. I want the door unlocked. I would let them take me there in my chair. That would be getting fresh air. I am going to make them open the door. He had become quite excited. And his strange eyes began to shine like stars and look more immense than ever. They have to please me, he said. I will make them take me there, and I'll let you go too. Mary's hands clutched each other. Everything would be spoiled. Everything. Dickon would never come back. She would never again feel like a missile thrush with a safe hidden nest. Oh, don't, don't, don't do that, she cried out. He stared as if he thought she had gone crazy. Why? he exclaimed. You said you wanted to see it. I do, she answered, almost with a sob in her throat. But if you make them open the door and take you in like that, it will never be a secret again. He leaned still farther forward. A secret, he said. What do you mean? Tell me. Mary's words almost tumbled over one another. You see, you see, she panted, if no one knows but ourselves, if there was a door, hidden somewhere under the ivy, if there was, and we could find it, and if we could slip through, together, and shut it behind us, and no one knew anyone was inside, and we called it our garden, and pretended, pretended that we were missile thrushes, and it was our nest, and if we played there almost every day, and dug and planted seeds, and made it all come alive, is it dead? he interrupted her. It will be, if no one cares for it, 
she went on. The bulbs will live, but the roses... He stopped her again, as excited as she was herself. What are bulbs? he put in quickly. They're daffodils and lilies and snowdrops. They're working in the earth now, pushing up pale green points because the spring is coming. Is the spring coming? he said. What's it like? You don't see it in rooms if you're ill. It is the sun shining on the rain, and the rain falling on the sunshine. Things pushing up and working under the earth. If the garden was a secret, and we could get into it, we could watch the things grow bigger every day, and see how many roses are alive. Don't you see? Don't you see how much nicer it would be if it was a secret? He dropped back on his pillow, and lay there, with an odd expression on his face. I never had a secret he said, except the one about not living to grow up. They didn't know I know that, so it is a sort of a secret. But I like this kind better. If you won't make them take you to the garden, pleaded Mary. Perhaps. I feel almost sure I can find out how to get in sometime, and then, if the doctor wants you to go out in your chair... And if you can always do what you want to do, perhaps, perhaps we might find some boy who could push you, and we could go alone, and it would always be a secret garden. I should like that, he said very slowly, his eyes looking dreamy. I should like that. I should not mind fresh air in a secret garden. Mary began to recover her breath and feel safer, because the idea of keeping the secret seemed to please him. She felt almost sure that if she kept on talking and could make him see the garden in his mind as she had seen it, he would like it so much that he could not bear to think that everybody might tramp into it when they chose. "'I'll tell you what I think it would be like if we could go into it,' she said. "'It's been shut up so long. Things have grown into a tangle, perhaps.' He lay quite still and listened while she went on talking about the roses which might have clambered from tree to tree and hung down, about the many birds which might have built their nests there because it was so safe. And then she told him about the robin and Ben Weatherstaff, and there was so much to tell about the robin and it was so easy and safe to talk about it that she ceased to be afraid. The robin pleased him so much that he smiled until he looked almost beautiful, and at first Mary thought that he was even plainer than herself, with his big eyes and heavy locks of hair. I did not know birds could be like that, he said. 
but if you stay in a room, you never see things. What a lot of things you know. I feel as if you had been inside that garden. She did not know what to say, so she did not say anything. He evidently did not expect an answer, and the next moment he gave her a surprise. I'm going to let you look at something, he said. Do you see that rose-coloured silk curtain hanging on the wall over the mantelpiece? Mary had not noticed it before, but she looked up and saw it. It was a curtain of soft silk hanging over what seemed to be some picture. Yes, she answered. There's a cord hanging from it, said Colin. Go and pull it. Mary got up, much mystified, and found the cord. When she pulled it, the silk curtain ran back on rings, and when it ran back, it uncovered a picture. It was the picture of a girl with a laughing face. She had bright hair tied up with a blue ribbon, and her gay, lovely eyes were exactly like Colin's unhappy ones, agate grey, and looking twice as big as they really were because of the black lashes all round them. She's my mother, said Colin complainingly. I don't see why she died. Sometimes I hate her for doing it. How clear, said Mary. If she had lived, I believe I should not have been ill always, he grumbled. I dare say I should have lived too, and my father would not have hated to look at me. I dare say I should have had a strong back. Draw the curtain again. Mary did as she was told, and returned to her footstool. She's much prettier than you, she said, but her eyes are just like yours. At least they're the same shape and colour. Why is the curtain drawn over her? He moved uncomfortably. I made them do it, he said. Sometimes I don't like to see her looking at me. She smiles too much when I am ill and miserable. Besides... She's mine, and I don't want everyone to see her. There were a few moments of silence, and then Mary spoke. What would Mrs. Medlock do if she found out I had been here? She inquired. She would do as I told her to do, he answered. And I should tell her that I wanted you to come here and talk to me every day. I'm glad you came. So am I, said Mary. I'll come as often as I can, but... She hesitated. I shall have to look every day for the garden door. Yes, you must, said Colin. And you can tell me about it afterward. He lay thinking a few minutes as he had done before. And then he spoke again. I think you shall be a secret too, he said. I'll not tell them until they find out. I can always send the nurse out of the room, 
say I want to be by myself. Do you know Martha? Yes, I know her very well, said Mary. She waits on me. He nodded his head toward the outer corridor. She's the one who's asleep in the other room. The nurse went away yesterday to stay all night with her sister, and she always makes Martha attend to me when she wants to go out. Martha shall tell you when to come here. Then Mary understood Martha's troubled look when she asked questions about the crying. Martha knew about you all the time, she said. Yes, she often attends to me. The nurse likes to get away from me, and then Martha comes. I have been here a long time, said Mary. Shall I go away now? Your eyes look sleepy. I wish I could go to sleep before you leave me, he said rather shyly. Shut your eyes, said Mary, drawing her footstool closer. And I will do what my ayah used to do in India. I will pat your hand and stroke it and sing something quite low. I should like that, perhaps, he said drowsily. Somehow, she was sorry for him, and did not want him to lie awake. So she leaned against the bed, and began to stroke and pat his hand and sing a very low little chanting song in Hindustani. That's nice, he said more drowsily still, and she went on chanting and stroking. But when she looked again, his black lashes were lying closed against his cheeks, for his eyes were shut, and he was fast asleep. She got up, softly, took her candle, and crept away without making a sound. The moor was hidden in mist when the morning came, and the rain had not stopped pouring down. There could be no going out of doors. Martha was so busy that Mary had no opportunity of talking to her, but in the afternoon she asked her to come and sit with her in the nursery. She came bringing the stocking she was always knitting when she was doing nothing else. "'What's the matter with thee?' she asked as soon as she sat down. "'Thou looks as if thou'd something to say.' "'I have. I have found out what the crying was,' said Mary. Martha let her knitting drop on her knee and gazed at her with startled eyes. "'Thou hasn't!' she exclaimed. "'Never!' "'I heard it in the night,' Mary went on. "'And I got up, and went to see where it came from. "'It was Colin. I found him.' Martha's face became red with fright. "'Hey, Miss Mary,' she said, half-crying, Thou shouldn't have done it. Thou shouldn't. Thou'll get me in trouble. 
I never told thee nothing about him. But thou'll get me in trouble. I shall lose my place, and what'll mother do? You won't lose your place, said Mary. He was glad I came. We talked and talked, and he said he was glad I came. Was he? cried Martha. Art thou sure? Thou doesn't know what he's like when anything vexes him. He's a big lad to cry like a baby, but when he's in a passion, he'll fair scream just to frighten us. He knows us daren't call our souls our own. He wasn't vexed, said Mary. I asked him if I should go away, and he made me stay. He asked me questions, and I sat on a big footstool and talked to him about India, and about the robin, and the gardens. He wouldn't let me go. He let me see his mother's picture. Before I left him, I sang him to sleep. Martha fairly gasped with amazement. I can scarcely believe thee, she protested. It's as if thou'd walked straight into a lion's den. If he'd been like he is most times, he'd have thrown himself into one of his tantrums and roused the house. He won't let strangers look at him. He let me look at him. I looked at him all the time, and he looked at me. We stared, said Mary. I don't know what to do, cried agitated Martha. If Mrs. Medlock finds out, she'll think I broke orders and told thee, and I shall be packed back to mother. He's not going to tell Mrs. Medlock anything about it yet. It's to be a sort of secret just at first, said Mary firmly. And he says everybody is obliged to do as he pleases. Aye, that's true enough, the bad lad, sighed Martha, wiping her forehead with her apron. He says Mrs. Medlock must, and he wants me to come and talk to him every day, and you ought to tell me when he wants me. Me, said Martha. I shall lose my place. I shall for sure. You can't if you're doing what he wants you to do, and everybody is ordered to obey him, Mary argued. Does that mean to say, cried Martha with wide open eyes, that he was nice to thee? I think he almost liked me, Mary answered. Then thou must have bewitched him, decided Martha, drawing a long breath. Do you mean magic? inquired Mary. I've heard about magic in India, but I can't make it. I just went into his room, and I was so surprised to see him, I stood and stared. And then he turned round and stared at me and he thought I was a ghost or a dream, and I thought perhaps he was. And it was so queer being there alone together in the middle of the night, and not knowing about each other. And we began to ask each other questions. And when I asked him if I must go away, he said I must not. Thou world's coming to an end, gasped Martha. What is the matter with him? asked Mary. "'Nobody knows for sure and certain,' said Martha. "'Mr. Craven went off his head like when he was born. "'The doctors thought he'd have to be put in asylum. "'It were because Mrs. Craven died, like I told you. "'He wouldn't set eyes on baby. "'He just raved and said it'd be another hunchback like him, "'and it'd better die.' "'Is Colin a hunchback?' Mary asked. "'He didn't look like one.' "'He isn't yet,' 
said Martha. But he began all wrong. Mother said there was enough trouble and raging in the house to set any child wrong. They was afraid his back was weak and they'd been taking care of it, keeping him lying down, not letting him walk. Once they made him wear a brace, but he fretted so he was downright ill. Then a big doctor came to see him and made him take it off. He talked to the other doctor quite rough, in a polite way. He said there'd been too much medicine and too much letting him have his own way. "'I think he's a very spoiled boy,' said Mary. "'He's the worst young nout as ever was,' said Martha. "'I won't say as he hasn't been ill a good bit. "'He's had coughs and colds that's nearly killed him two or three times. "'Once he had rheumatic fever and once he had typhoid. "'Hey, Mrs. Medlock did get a fright then. "'He'd been out of his head and she was talking to the nurse, "'thinking he didn't know nothing, and he said, "'He'll die this time for sure enough.' and best thing for him and for everybody. And she looked at him, and there he was, with his big eyes open, staring at her, as sensible as she was herself. She didn't know what had happened, but he just stared at her and says, You give me some water and stop talking. Do you think he will die? asked Mary. Mother says there's no reason why any child should live that gets no fresh air and don't do nothing but lie on his back and read picture books and take medicine. He's weak and hates the trouble of being taken out of doors. And he gets cold so easy, he says it makes him ill. Mary sat and looked at the fire. I wonder, she said slowly, if it would not do him good to go out into a garden and watch things growing. It did me good. One of the worst fits he ever had, said Martha, was one time they took him out where the roses is by fountain. He'd been reading in a paper about people getting something he called Rose Cold, and he began to sneeze and said he got it. And then as a new gardener didn't know the rules passed by and looked at him curious, he threw himself into a passion said he'd looked at him because he was going to be a hunchback. He cried himself into a fever and he was ill all night. If he ever gets angry at me, I'll never go and see him again, said Mary. He'll have thee if he wants thee, said Martha. Thou may as well know that at start. Very soon afterward a bell rang and she rolled up her knitting. I dare say the nurse wants me to stay with him a bit. I hope he's in a good temper. She was out of the room about ten minutes. And then she came back with a puzzled expression. Well, thou has bewitched him, she said. He's up on his sofa with his picture books. He's told the nurse to stay away until six o'clock. I'm to wait in next room. The minute she was gone, he called me to him and says... I want Mary Lennox to come and talk to me. And remember, you're not to tell anyone. You'd better go as quick as you can. Mary was quite willing to go quickly. She did not want to see Colin as much as she wanted to see Dickon, but she wanted to see him very much. There was a bright fire on the hearth when she entered the room, and in the daylight she saw it was a very beautiful room indeed. There were rich colours in the rugs and hangings and 
pictures and books on the walls which made it look glowing and comfortable, even in spite of the grey sky and falling rain. Colin looked rather like a picture himself. He was wrapped in a velvet dressing gown and sat against a big brocaded cushion. He had a red spot on each cheek. Come in, he said. I've been thinking about you all morning. I've been thinking about you too, answered Mary. You don't know how frightened Martha is. She says Mrs. Medlock will think she told me about you, and she'll be sent away. He frowned. Go and tell her to come here, he said. She's in the next room. Mary went and brought her back. Poor Martha was shaking in her shoes. Colin was still frowning. "'Have you to do what I please, or have you not?' he demanded. "'I have to do what you please, sir,' Martha faltered, turning quite red. "'Has Medlock to do what I please?' "'Everybody has, sir,' said Martha. "'Well, then, if I order you to bring Miss Mary to me, "'how can Medlock send you away if she finds out?' "'Please don't let her, sir,' pleaded Martha. "'I'll send her away if she dares to say a word about such a thing,' "'said Master Craven grandly. "'She wouldn't like that, I can tell you.' "'Thank you, sir,' bobbing a curtsy. "'I want to do my duty, sir.' "'What I want is your duty.' said Colin more grandly still. I'll take care of you. Now go away. When the door closed behind Martha, Colin found Mistress Mary gazing at him as if he had set her wondering. Why do you look at me like that? he asked her. What are you thinking about? I am thinking about two things. What are they? Sit down and tell me. This is the first one, said Mary, seating herself on the big red stool. Once in India, I saw a boy who was a Raja. He had rubies and emeralds and diamonds stuck all over him. He spoke to his people just as you spoke to Martha. Everybody had to do everything he told them in a minute. I think they would have been killed if they hadn't. I shall make you tell me about Rajas presently, he said. But first, tell me what the second thing was. I was thinking, said Mary, how different you are from Dickon. Who's Dickon, he said. What a queer name. She might as well tell him. She thought she could talk about Dickon without mentioning the secret garden. She had liked to hear Martha talk about him. Besides, she longed to talk about him. It would seem to bring him nearer. He's Martha's brother. He's twelve years old. He's not like anyone else in the world. He can charm foxes and squirrels and birds just as the natives in India charm snakes. 
he plays a very soft tune on a pipe, and they come and listen. There were some big books on a table at his side, and he dragged one suddenly toward him. "'There's a picture of a snake charmer in this,' he exclaimed. "'Come and look at it.' The book was a beautiful one, with superb coloured illustrations, and he turned to one of them. "'Can he do that?' he asked eagerly. He played on his pipe, and they listened, Mary explained. "'But he doesn't call it magic. He says it's because he lives on the moor so much.' and he knows their ways. He says he feels sometimes as if he was a bird or a rabbit himself. He likes them so. I think he asked the robin questions. It seemed as if they talked to each other in soft chirps. Colin lay back on his cushion, and his eyes grew larger and larger, and the spots on his cheeks burned. Tell me some more about him, he said. He knows all about eggs and nests, Mary went on. And he knows where foxes and badgers and otters live. He keeps them secret so that other boys won't find their holes and frighten them. He knows about everything that grows or lives on the moor. Does he like the moor, said Colin. How can he? It's such a great, bare, dreary place. It's the most beautiful place, protested Mary. Thousands of lovely things grow on it, and there are thousands of little creatures, all busy, building nests, making holes and burrows and chippering, singing or squeaking to each other. They're so busy and having such fun under the earth or in the trees or the heather. It's their world. How do you know all that? said Colin, turning on his elbow to look at her. I've never been there once, really, said Mary, remembering. I only drove over it in the dark. I thought it was hideous. Martha told me about it first, and then Dickon. When Dickon talks about it, you feel as if you saw things and heard them and as if you were standing in the heather, with the sun shining, and the gorse smelling like honey, and all full of bees and butterflies. You never see anything if you're ill, said Colin. He looked like a person listening to a new sound in the distance, and wondering what it was. You can't if you stay in a room, said Mary. I couldn't go on the moor, he said in a resentful tone. Mary was silent for a minute, and then she said something bold. You might, sometime. He moved as if he were startled. Go on the moor? How could I? I'm going to die. How do you know? said Mary, unsympathetically. She didn't like the way he had of talking about dying. She did not feel very sympathetic. She felt rather as if he almost boasted about it. 
Oh, I've heard it since I remember, he answered crossly. They are always whispering about it, thinking I don't notice. They wish I would too. Mistress Mary felt quite contrary. She pinched her lips together. If they wished I would, she said. I wouldn't. Who wishes you would? The servants, and of course Dr. Craven, because he would get Misselthwaite and be rich instead of poor. He don't say so, but he always looks cheerful when I'm worse. When I had typhoid fever, his face got quite fat. I think my father wishes it too. I don't believe he does, said Mary quite obstinately. That made Colin turn and look at her again. Don't you? he said. And then he lay back on his cushion and was still, as if he were thinking. And there was quite a long silence. Perhaps they were both of them thinking strange things children do not usually think. I like the Grand Doctor from London because he made them take the iron thing off, said Mary at last. Did he say you were going to die? No. What did he say? He didn't whisper, Colin answered. Perhaps he knew I hated whispering. I heard him say one thing quite aloud. He said, The lad might live if he would make up his mind to it, put him in a humour. It sounded as if he was in a temper. I'll tell you who would put you in the humour, perhaps said Mary, reflecting. She felt as if she would like this thing to be settled, one way or the other. I believe Dickon would. He's always talking about live things. He never talks about dead things or things that are ill. He's always looking up in the sky to watch birds flying or looking down at the earth to see something growing. He has such round blue eyes and they are so wide open with looking about. And he laughs, such a big laugh, with his wide mouth. And his cheeks are as red, as red as cherries. She pulled her stool nearer to the sofa, and her expression quite changed at the remembrance of the wide curving mouth and wide open eyes. See here, she said. Don't let us talk about dying. I don't like it. Let us talk about living. Let us talk and talk about Dickon. And then we will look at your pictures. It was the best thing she could have said. To talk about Dickon meant to talk about the moor, about the cottage, and the fourteen people who lived in it on sixteen shillings a week. The children who got fat on the moor grass like the wild ponies. And about Dickon's mother. And the skipping rope. And the moor with the sun on it. About pale green points sticking up out of the black sod. And it was all so alive. That Mary talked more than she had ever talked before. And Colin both talked and listened as he had never done either before. 
and they both began to laugh over nothings as children will when they're happy together. And they laughed so that in the end they were making as much noise as if they had been two ordinary, healthy, natural ten-year-old creatures instead of a hard, little, unloving girl and a sickly boy who believed that he was going to die. They enjoyed themselves so much that they forgot the pictures and they forgot about the time. They had been laughing quite loudly over Ben Weatherstaff and his Robin, and Colin was actually sitting up as if he had forgotten about his week back when he suddenly remembered something. Do you know, there's one thing we've never once thought of, he said. We are cousins. It seemed so queer that they had talked so much and never remembered this simple thing that they laughed more than ever because they had got into the humour to laugh at anything. And in the midst of the fun, the door opened and in walked Dr. Craven and Mrs. Medlock. And that is where we close the book tonight on tonight's episode of Down to Sleep and on the Secret Garden. Thank you for listening. I hope that you are suitably relaxed, if not already drifted off and having dreams of your own. Until next time, thank you and good night.